Peyton, thank you for adding me. Look, I'm here. I'm here. Back to my living room, coming at you in Facebook and in LinkedIn and on Twitter and on YouTube. Join us now. Uh, if you are if you are new to PRSA Silicon Valley's Friday Forum, um, you can be sharing this with your stream too. So if you want to uh, if you want to get a little bit more involved, we definitely want to hear from you on lots of levels. Public Relations Society of America is um, the national organization. Public Relations Society of America, Silicon Valley, is hosting this conversation today. We are hosting Friday Forum. It is a forum for public relations and communicators at large to talk to each other about things that matter, learn, teach all the things. It is awesome to have all of you here with us. Tell us where you're coming in from in the chat, and we cannot wait to hear from you. My name is Vanessa Yanez. I'm the president of PRSA Silicon Valley. And did you read the graphic that's up here? We are talking about TV to agency. We have news people, everyone. I know that you're going to be in here wanting to learn more about their career trajectories as well as what they're doing now in agency and um, what it's like. So you're going to hear a lot about that. But first, a little bit more about the team meeting. Like I said, this is the industry's team meeting, and we've done over 70 of these. I think we're really close to 75. Uh, Paul, tell me if it's 73, 74, somewhere in there. Uh, Paul, as a matter of fact, uh, we have a couple of producers. Ooh, hey, Kathy, good to see you again. Lots of regulars come onto the forum with us and tell us that tell us who you are and where you're coming in from. And also connect with everybody that's on this call today. It's not really a call, is it? It's It's an experience. Anyway, anyway, this hour is about you. It is about you learning, teaching, going on to make awesome judgment calls, doing all the things. It is your first happy hour of your Friday, no matter what time zone you're in. I'm in Silicon Valley, but you can be anywhere. Tell me where you're coming in from, and we want to hear more from you. We also want you to get more engaged, and that means with the industry. So volunteer. PRSA Silicon Valley is a nonprofit. We have about 30 on our board from corporate to agency, consultants, you name it. There are people who are in all stages of career and willing to connect with you and make your career the best it could possibly be. And I'm loving what I'm seeing in here. Good to see you all. Foster City, that looks like... Jerry, is that you? Okay. So good to have you. All right, we're going to be moving on to what we are going to talk about today. I am so excited to introduce you to one of our board members. We have a few board members on today. Um, and please do talk about your board experience, too, because we want more people to get involved. You have a better Oh, that's Jerry, definitely. We have a better career when you're better connected. So um, again, my name is Vanessa Yanez, president of PRSA Silicon Valley. Connect with me, connect with everybody here today, and we look forward to bringing you more of this terrific content. And um, Arthi Shaw, can we bring Arthi up? Arthi Shaw is our moderator today. Uh, one of our board members, consultant extraordinaire. Uh, she has so much work, she doesn't know what to do right now. Also, you guys may know her from her extensive uh, experience at Provoke when she was executive editor. And just many, many people know you and your network is huge. Arthi, thank you so much for doing this today. Thank you, Vanessa. And thank you for that very nice introduction. I am very excited to be here as always. Um, and thanks to everyone for joining. I see we have we have a lot of a lot of mostly Bay Area people right now. Um, and I will, Vanessa, unless there's any housekeeping you need me to do, I will just launch into today's episode. That's right. I'm going backstage. Bye. Okay. All right. Well, thanks everyone. So on today's episode, we're going to talk to some names that you might recognize, um, not necessarily because of their PR careers, but their former lives as broadcast journalists. So we're going to explore what it's like to jump from being on camera to moving behind the scenes doing client work. Um, all of the talented former journalists we have on today's show all work at the same agency. They all work at Boss Bar. So we'll also talk to the Boss Bar's co-founder, Curtis Farrer, about thinking um, about his thinking behind sort of 
building what appears to be sort of a mini broadcast newsroom within the agency. Um, you all also get a very special treat on today's show, because in addition to this incredibly compelling conversation, uh, we're adding a bonus topic. Um, so with the PR Week Awards next week, in which I believe Bosfor has six nominations, Curtis will correct me if I'm wrong, um, with the Cannes Lions deadline quickly approaching next month, awards are on everyone's minds. So we're going to spend the last 10 or 15 minutes talking to Curtis about his award strategy. And for those of you that are wondering, well, why should we listen to Curtis about this? Well, here's a data point. Bosfor has racked up so many awards that they ranked at the top of Provoke's Creativity Index in 2021. That is a very difficult thing to do, um, especially for a boutique tech PR firm. So I think Curtis may know a thing or two about this. Um, so welcome. Can we, can we bring Curtis um, and the rest of the folks on? And I will introduce folks quickly. Hey, everyone. It's me. Hey, Curtis. Hey. All right. So I introduced hey, Curtis. Just uh, for everyone else, quickly, I will just give everyone a quick bio, um, or just let people know what your what your what your journalist background was, and when you all speak, feel free to give more context. Um, but rather than spending a ton of time on introductions, we'll we'll, we'll get right into it. Um, Mega Jewel, who um, I think most recent her journalism career was at KPTV in Portland, Oregon. Eric Chimmy, who was most recently at CNBC, and Brett Larson, who was most recently at Fox News. And I believe Bosfar is the first PR role for Eric and Brett, but not for Mega. So I guess maybe maybe we'll start. We'll start talking about sort of why you all went down the path you did. Obviously, we're living in this moment where journalists are doing so many different things. They're diversifying their their career portfolios with things like Substacks and house content roles. Um, some are moving to issues and crisis comms. Some have become brand consultants, to name just a few. So why did you all choose to go the route of tech PR? And just to make it easy, I'm going to start with, I'm just going to, um, Eric. Okay, start with me. That sounds good. Arthi, this is great. I'm glad we're having this conversation. Mine, mine was not something that I was expecting or predicting. So my background, I have a computer science degree from MIT. I worked on Wall Street doing quant trading. So I was a computer science, econ, finance, quant Wall Street kind of guy, but I always loved the media. So I got into Bloomberg and then I was on CNBC on the air there. But a lot of my stories were data-driven, quantitative, technical. So I knew Curtis, I knew the Bar team going way back before he even started Bar. When when he said he was starting a work-from-home national agency, I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Of course, now it makes a lot of sense, but at the time it was certainly prescient is the word, right? But I left CNBC to actually do my own startup. Again, that intersection of business, tech, and communications. I did an insurance startup, which is quantitative, technical, intangible. It's hard to communicate. So in a way, I was doing PR without even realizing it because so much of what I was doing was digital video, media, TikTok, podcasts. And all these companies came to me and said, hey, we're we want media consulting. And I said, huh. So I talked to Kurt. I said, I'm trying to figure out how to do this because everyone's asking me for this. And I think that could be a bigger opportunity for me than the insurance startup. And he said, oh, I'll hire you at Bar. Like this could be the perfect opportunity for both of us. And I thought about it. I said, I really like Curtis. I think he's really good. Bar is really good as, as the awards show. Let's do that. That would be really fun. It's like, I would rather learn from somebody than try to do this on my own. So it wasn't expected. It was better than I thought. I wouldn't have thought to do it. And and I'm really glad that I'm here. And I'm glad that Curtis was willing to take a risk on somebody who'd never done PR before. I, I only know the product side. I know a lot of the technical stuff, but I'm learning now how the sausage is getting made. Wow. Yes, indeed. And what what a varied background. And it, I mean, it, it just seems like there's a lot of, you know, I'm going to ask later about your career trajectory. And Eric, it seems like there's a lot of different directions you could go in. Um, I'm going to go in the order that I'm looking at. Mega, you're next. Well, I am a board member, so this is how I got connected to even Curtis. I mean, I thank PRSA Silicon Valley for the opportunity to build that family and community. I wouldn't be at Bosbar without it. But in terms of my career trajectory, I mean, gosh, when you said recently at KPTV, that was maybe like seven or eight years ago. Oh, so gosh. I don't know how recent that is. However, it wasn't a clear shot for me. I mean, Eric, I love your journey where you're like, this is what I want to do. But I knew that I wanted to do storytelling, but when I got caught in those protest coverage, getting hit with tear gas and flashbangs and you know rubber bullets, it just wasn't for me. And really had to really take a, a good look at like, where do I wanna go? 
What does that look like? And I started building some businesses as a test run to see like, how, how is that sausage being made and how does the business aspect work? And so from one thing led to another, um, from creating a business, making mistakes, learning from that, getting married to a senior technical program manager who laid out on our kitchen table, hey, this is what agile program management looks like with post-its and really opened the world to how to manage people, how to create infrastructure. And that just kind of like spiraled into team management, client management, project management. Like that is something I love. So it's just, I don't know, you know, you guys, it's the journey, right? It's been such a beautiful painting that is fluid and in the making as we're going through this. So, so wonderfully, so wonderfully said. And um, so Brett, I get kind of that, grab your big shoes to fill. Those are, those are, those are two great, great I, stories. <laughs> those, are, those are indeed, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta follow that. Uh, you know, I was one of the first on-air technology reporters when I came to New York many years ago. We don't have to get into the specifics on the timeline. And it put me in a unique position as a journalist that I always had to work with PR people to get my story. You know, we it wasn't like I ran up to a building that was on fire and stuck a microphone in someone's face to talk about the newest iPhone. I had to coordinate with people at Apple or I had to talk to people at Microsoft or Sony or dozens of other uh, small startups. And what what kind of drew me to Bosbar was for one, Curtis and I had a fantastic dinner in New York City, and I was talking to him about my desire to get into public relations, to leave broadcasting behind. As you can imagine, over the past few years, uh, working in an active newsroom during COVID, January sixth, the contentious presidential election, and all the things that came before, after, and around that, it became very taxing. So it was it was always something in the back of my mind that I thought I want to do this. I think this is something I could do with the skill set that I have. And I, back to the dinner with Curtis, we had this great conversation, and it was and I had a he explained it all to me in very simple. No, he was not hiding anything from me. He put he put it all very bluntly, and I thought I'm going to go ahead and give this a shot because over the past several years. I was pitching myself as the story. I was pitching my ideas as the story. I was trying to work with editors and producers and executive producers to get my stories on air. I was finding myself very frustrated by what a lot of the technology startups and technology companies were doing in the in the space, in the media space. They, they seemed to really be struggling to tell their story, tell that story to a consumer audience, tell your story to a business-to-business audience. Um, I worked with a lot of startups when I was at Fox, and that was always my favorite thing to get in there. To, you know, when it's it's a group of two or three people, and they've got this great idea, but they can only explain it to each other. Mm-hmm. I love that Bosbar had all of these technology companies that were they were working with. A lot of them are startups, and it was it was great once I started to just kind of dig in and say, "All right, what what are these guys doing? What are these people doing? I should say, what are these people doing? How can I help them? How can I help them?" tell their story as opposed to helping myself tell somebody else's story. Why not just put it out there and, 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 and help other people do that? So it's, it's been pretty great. Yeah. You know, a common thread I noticed with all three of you and, you know, to plug Vanessa and PRSA is networking, right? I mean, Eric, you had a, you, you knew Curtis, Brett, you had a, you had a, 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 a career changing dinner with Curtis and Mega, <laughs> you, you had mentioned that, you know, through, it was through PRSA. It sounds like perhaps you even connected with Curtis. So, so yeah, that's a that's a plug for the importance of having a well networked ecosystem that you can tap into, especially when you're looking to make career transitions. So, I want to Brett. I'm going to actually start with you on this next question because I think you came at this with the least amount of information. What was your biggest surprise coming to the agency side? Like, what did PR people do that you were just like, oh wow, that's part of the job description? You know, that was always the question that I had, other than my experience with PR people was getting a pitch from them. It's here, here's the pitch. Here's what we want to tell you. Here's where we go. Um, again, back to Bosworth, what I always loved about working with Curtis and his team was it wasn't just that. It was here's the pitch. Here's some data. Would you, would, here's some data that'll be helpful for you telling the story. Here's someone I can set up for you to interview. 
I, I guess I didn't realize just how much of the heavy lifting PR people can do for journalists. Um, sure, we can throw out a pitch. I, I could crank one out right now if one of our clients said, Here, here's the message that we want. We, got, we just got a C round of funding. Okay, yeah, I can, I can do that. They could do that. But what struck me was by the, A, the amount of heavy lifting and B, the amount of storytelling that we still get to do as PR people. I mean, as, as Mega said, it's, I wanted to be a storyteller. That's why I got into the business that I got into. And, and that's, that's been the fun part. It's also been a very, it's a different way of storytelling because reach other journalists. So it's no longer you're writing for the ear, you're writing for the audience, you're writing for the CNN audience or the CBS audience, or the Fox audience, you're writing for other journalists and you're trying to get their attention as quickly as possible. So that would, I would say that was the, the biggest challenge at, at first. Eric or Mega, do either of you want to address sort of what was the biggest surprise in terms of what, what PR encompasses? I would agree. I would agree with Brett. I think the surprise for me, everything that Brett said, the surprise for me, I think, is still how in a lot of companies, there's just these great stories that exist, but they don't realize how great it is. Like they have forgotten how good the story is because they're in the weeds. So I have to remind them, look, what you think is really basic, what you think is obvious, journalists don't know. The public doesn't know, or right? they mm-hmm. they don't have insights into your company. They're not having this meeting that we're having. They don't work there. They're not a customer. They have no way of knowing. So you almost really got to dumb it down. Like the thing that you think is so basic, page one, a first day employee, what you would tell them would be mind blowing to a reporter or an end reader. So let's let's focus on some of these really true great stories without overthinking it in a way. And I think I've been surprised at, it's almost like they forget how good their story is sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, right. For, for me, in the perspective that I come with, I, I lead the social media department with my partner in crime, Ruben Ramirez, we're both VPs of social. You know, the approach that we take is the, the storyline that our clients have is so precious and the human element of the stories that encompasses them, they're there. They're they're waiting to be told. And that's the part where we have that opportunity to create, to cultivate, whether it's from uh, from our perspective, captions to multimedia perspectives. I mean, we have the ability from both perspectives now as journalists and former journalists to now where we're at to be able to cultivate those stories, not only just like, here you go, but put it in a position where it's bite-sized, digestible, and it makes sense, like what Eric is talking about, in the way that it matters to the audience. Right. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn this question on slightly on its head and and, and ask uh, Curtis. Um, yes, yes. So you know, <laughs> from your perspective, what's the biggest challenge when you bring a journalist onto the team? Where do you find the gaps are, and where do you have to? Um, where do you feel like you have to do most of your training or, or what, what do you find that folks are surprised at? And they're like, Oh, wait a second. We have to do this. <laughs> you know, I, I it so negatively. I started exactly where Eric and Brett are. I came as an Emmy winning. I always wanted to do this. <laughs> an Emmy winning uh, producer into uh PR. And there were many things that made a lot of sense to me. I could relate to clients like I would relate to an anchor, for example, where they would say something or bark at me and I'd think, I have to get this done. But I would make it my point to get it done. But the hardest part was understanding the vocabulary. I was in one meeting with a marketer and she kept on repeating, this is the only solution that can scale. And I thought, I have no idea what she's talking about. And it occurred to me, that was actually a smart thing to say to her, which, you know, I have been in newsrooms around the country and no one talks about something that's the only thing that can scale. I can't imagine how that's a story in any major business publication, period. And that was a fundamental shift in the discussion that we had about the offering. And we were able to get on ABC News TV as a result. And I think that's the hard thing, though, is learning this new marketing and tech language, which, you know, is something that's important. 
And we think we know it because we read TechCrunch or VentureBeat or Business Insider, but we don't know the actual deep terminology that marketers and executives and you know, CEOs are using to talk about what they're doing, why it matters, how it's impactful. And learning that new vocabulary, the business vocabulary, the tech vocabulary, the marketing vocabulary, those are the things that anyone coming from a journalist background, whether it's print, TV, radio, whatever, is going to have to learn. Yes, so you have to learn them. And then to Eric's point, you have to then teach people not to not to use them so much, right? Sort of, it sort of comes all full circle. So, so, so let's get let's get real for a moment, okay? You know, one of the hardest parts about the transition, right, is is client service and client management, right? And setting those expectations, being able to say, this is not as newsworthy worthy as you think, or hey, you're missing the great story. It's actually simpler than you think. Um, mm-hmm. Do any of you want to share a story that illuminates sort of how challenging this can be, and something that hopefully will be relatable to our audience, because I know this is, I mean, from having talked to people in this industry for over a decade, this this is this is the this is the big the big pain point. So does anyone want to share a story? Um, oh Brett, you look excited. I I think I I think Eric and I could probably do dueling stories on this. I you know that is a that is a tough one. That is a really tough situation to be put into because you you don't want to upset the client. You want them to be happy and you want to help them. But yeah, sometimes they come to the table and say, we are super excited about this widget, WYSIWYG, whatchamacallit, and it's going to change the printer landscape. And you're just thinking, and we want to be on the cover of the Wall Street Journal. And you just scratch your head and think, there is no possible way we're going to get you on the cover of the Wall Street Journal unless we hire like a team of people to go put stickers on the cover of the Wall Street Journal with your with your story on it, which is not a bad idea. Um, it, but it's hard. But I think, and I'm, I'm going to let Eric speak to this as well. I think that goes back to that. Tell me something else. Tell me something more. Who's using this? Who's who's your customer? Who's making use of this product? And And Let's see. Maybe there's a news angle here. You know, we've had a lot of luck with finding a news angle to to something, and that sort of being the on ramp to to coverage. Right. Yeah, I would say I try to use a supply and demand analogy. Look, the the reporters are demanding certain things. If you think about the demand for information, the demand for content, this is what what we know is going to get written about is going to get on TV covered. We know what the demand is, so you have to decide as a company, as a client. If you're willing to supply it, if you're not willing to supply it, that's fine, but you're not going to get on it. You're not going to get covered. What you may want to offer may not fit their demand. So it's really a supply demand. They're like, yeah, your story's great to you, but if you open up these publications, show me where in these publications they're writing anything that looks like what you're talking about. So if it doesn't match, you know, like it's not like I'm saying this is a good or bad idea. I'm just telling you this is what's on the menu and you got to just be part of that. And it's, it's your choice. So that's been there, you know, without naming names, without getting into too many details, there's been some challenging conversations about, Hey, well, we've got this great announcement. And it's like, in my career, I never wrote a story about something that looked like this. It just never happened because you're forgetting that there's 25 reporters in a newsroom. They're each getting 100 pitches a day. There's only one story a day that they can do. Some of those stories don't even get published or on the air anywhere because their editor is weeding out things. The editor is someone you've never met. You don't know who the editor is. They don't even have the time of day. They don't care about your story or your pitch. They're moving on within a couple of seconds. So if it's not crystal clear what it is, and if it's not crystal clear, it's part of their news cycle and part of what they want, they're just going to move on. So trying to explain that to companies who've spent weeks and months and hours and you know meetings to try to get this down, it's like, well, if it doesn't fit, it's like, it's sort of like the Wall Street Journal is a good example. I use a different example. There's the tennis channel and there's the golf channel. You can be the greatest golfer in the world. You will never get on the tennis channel, right? And you can be Roger Federer and you're never getting on the golf channel because they just don't cover it. So right. it's sort of like that. Like you may want to be in the Wall Street Journal, but they literally don't cover 
what you do. So you're just going to have to find another way of inserting your story through data or give me a quote. Give me something that I am talking about. So can I can I ask, how do you guys handle, I can imagine two probably really frustrating situations that you all find yourselves in and how do you handle that? A, do clients ask you, can't you just call your buddy up at CNBC or can't you call your buddy <laughs> up at News and get us, get us in? Number one. And number two, do they try to tell you what what should be on CNBC or on Fox and say, well, I don't understand. Like this, this, this to me seems like a great oh. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Both, both, of those, both of those things happen. My wife is a host on CMC. She's on the air right now, mm-hmm. I think. She hosts her own show. And so we talk about this at home. The stories that she wants to do can't even get on her own show that she is the anchor of. Yeah. So forget knowing anybody. Yeah. We as reporters couldn't even get on ourselves right. working mm-hmm. there half the time because President Trump tweeted something. It's breaking news. Carlos Ghosn, who's one of the most famous CEOs in the world, he was getting bumped from CNBC because we got the markets moving. Can't have Carlos Ghosn. So the guy that's like a worldwide fugitive and a famous car CEO can't get on, your tiny company is not going to get on. And yeah, they do say, well, why aren't they covering this? It's like, I don't know what to tell you, but they don't. And, and, And yeah, you have these conversations and sometimes you're sort of like, in the twilight zone a little bit, but then I think about we're in client service now. We're not journalists. I think about what's the example Curtis is setting. Curtis has that Emmy, but he's not in that business anymore. We're not in that business anymore. So we do have to button it up, but we do have to just be very calm about like, look, this is how it works. This is the process. Here's some examples. It's not really about who you know. They are really doing these stories based on merits. They are doing these stories based on the length of it, what fits, how the markets look today, what the news cycle is. It doesn't matter who you know in a lot of these cases. It's really about buttoning up for them. But I'm, I'm sure Brett has his version of that answer as well. <laughs> I, I I do. I mean, I because I, I have had this same conversation multiple times. I usually share a personal anecdote of my time at Fox. When I was working with Fox Business, I had an opportunity for an exclusive interview with Apple's COO, and they wouldn't let me do it. And it went on for weeks and back and forth we went about, well, what if we, what if we did this and we'll, we'll, we can, we'll put you in this factory. We'll give you access to this. Uh, and, it, and it was literally one of the VPs at Fox was at an Apple event, happened to get a sit down with Tim Cook, who said, hey, we pitched this story to you guys. Why aren't, why aren't you doing the story? And then they did the story. So it's, it's, it's that sort of, and it's not to say, hey, look at me, you know, Tim Cook said, do a story with Brett Larson, because that's not really how it, uh, the, the specifics of how it went down. But it's, it's that it took that level of effort to get a story on Fox Business. And this is the largest company in the world. So you can imagine not being the largest company in the world, not being one of the letters in Fang, not a lot of, you're not going to get, you can't turn around and have the entire media ecosystem talk about you. Um, so it, it is it is a difficult conversation, but yeah, as Eric said, we, we are in client services now. So then it just becomes, well, tell me more, talk to me more. We we have a, a client that has a very specific computer product. And I I spent 45 minutes on the phone with, on a Zoom call rather, with one of their people to say, let's, I want you to start at the very beginning of, of everything. Tell me everything you have. And we had a great conversation. And from that conversation, from that in-depth, tell me everything. It was like, I have an, I have an idea for a story and I'm going to, I'm going to do some brainstorming on this and I'm going to come back to you with two ideas. So a lot of times it's just, you got to sit back down. You got to go back to the table. You got to dig back through the, the manuals and everything that you've already done. And maybe you're repeating yourself. Maybe I'm sorry if you've already said this to one of, one of our AEs or, or senior AEs. Uh, but you know, maybe we can, we can gel on a new idea and, and sometimes it works. And sometimes you get the same result. You get the, the end result is still, I sent this pitch to my friend and my friend said, I don't know why you keep sending this to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, I mean, that's one of the most, I think, frustrating, even, even for PR people, right? I mean, just like, who do you know at this publication? How close are you? So, you know, I, we, we have some audience questions and I'm going to get to that in a second. I know I just want to ask a bit of an existential question. Um, and and for all three of you, I mean, Curtis, you could even answer since you know you you're still obviously feel connected to your to your broadcast life. Do you all think of yourselves as journalists still, at least to some degree? 
at heart. Mega, you said at at, at heart. Yeah. Yeah. At heart. I mean, those foundational things of how do you be resourceful? What, why the hell should anybody care on the other side? Those are really important questions to tell a story, you know, the who, what, when, where, why type of thing, like, and, and how. So absolutely. But it's a different perspective, it's a different shift and it's a different way of, of managing. But absolutely, I, I think those journalism foundations make me who I am and, and what I do today. Mm-hmm. I'm the president of the San Francisco Press Club. It's a journalism organization. Yep. And so I fun, I mean, I identify with journalists. My heart bleeds for journalists. I go to journalist conventions. I think that the journalistic mindset is critical for understanding the hardest technologies out there. And the journalistic mindset's also critical for thinking, okay, I've got this story. It's pretty techy. It's pretty reedy. How can I make this interesting to an audience? Because nothing prepares you for storytelling quite like being the weekend assignment manager in Toledo, Ohio where nothing's going on and you got to find something that makes it an interesting to someone else. And when you sit there in Toledo, Ohio, and you're thinking, Lord, nothing is happening in the city except another fly dying. That's when you start really getting creative about storytelling. And that, you know, I've always channeled that when I'm thinking, okay, how can I make this story sing? And I came up with the idea about being politely pushy on the idea that sometimes you can't take no for an answer, but you don't want to get blocked either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. That is um, that is a fine art, which we should have a whole other discussion on the art of of not of of, of pushing without getting blocked. Um, so Brett and Eric, I noticed both of you were nodding. So I think you guys still similarly consider yourselves journalists at your core. Yeah. And you all are so much newer from, I mean, you all are so much fresher. So it's probably, you know. Yeah. It's, it's I, I think it's like Mega said. Mega said it's like a mindset. It's an yeah. approach for how you do things. Or look, I'm also an engineer at heart, right? My background yeah, is yeah. engineering. So I, I sort of think of myself as both. And I haven't done engineering in many years, but I still think of that as well. So I think it's it's about a mindset. It's about how you look at the world, how you piece things together what are the components mm-hmm. that run in your head right. like right, what what is like the a b and c items i need to make this a thing and yeah. i think journalism experience and training certainly it, it's it's just there like it doesn't go away right it's just in you've done it for so long that that's yeah. how you see the world right yes i like that that's how, that, that's how that's how you see the world yeah i mean you you can't uh i mean i we've all heard the the joke of you can take the, but it's that, you know, you can take the person out of the newsroom, but you can't take the newsroom out of the person. It it is, it is, it is, I wouldn't say it's a way of life because that sounds a little too, but it is definitely, it is a way you train yourself Mm -hmm. to think you train yourself to look at the situation, look at the facts, understand the scenario, find the story there to, to tell. So I don't, I don't think that ever goes away. I think it, I think it would be a good, foundation just in terms of uh, just critical thinking it's it's just yeah. part of that we are observers of the world and and i i always felt like as a journalist it was it, we were, it was that much more important that we had to pay closer attention to everything going on so i yeah. I, I definitely think it it stays there and we still are storytellers we're just storytellers for different people now right right well let me i, I want i want to get to kathy's good question here um, which is a good one, um, and it's a, it one that I would love to hear y'all's perspectives on. Um, thoughts on the trend of buying native content when you can't get editorial coverage, and what are the implications for the future of PR? Um, I who wants to take a stab at this one first, and I I'll take a stab at this. All right, you know, I think that there is definitely a place for paid content. and I think that there are you know really good channels. And I also think, that um, there are good quasi pay for play opportunities like you know Forbes and Fast Company. Both of those outlets are really doing interesting things where there's a gatekeeper and so the content's not you know so unbranded that you feel like you're reading a press release, uh, but you are still given a lot more opportunities at the bat and given a lot more volume. And so I think those are great opportunities. That said, I think 
you know, the whole, you know, those bar man mandate of being politely pushy is the idea that there's always a place for a story. You just have to be persistent and creative enough to find it. And I think that trumps everything. That is in the old TV news parlance of making slot. And that's kind of what I pride ourselves on being able to do is make slot. Even though this story might be super technical or might be super difficult, or there might be a crazy turnaround time, you know, with the right thinking and, you know, the right creativity and the right calibration, we can make it work. And I think the thing that, you know, Mega and Eric and Brett really set up is they set up the stakes. And the stakes in newsrooms across the country are such that journalists are getting a lot more pitches than ever before because there are fewer of them than ever before. And they are required to do more than ever before. And so the stakes are that, yes. But that does not mean that a story is impossible or that any PR person should be like, well, I guess it's just too hard to place a story. I guess I should just file my nails and feel bad for myself. I mean, no. I, the, the thing is, is that there's always a way to take a story like that and make it bigger. And generally, one of the first pieces of advice that I give clients when they have come to me and said, hey, you know, how do I get my message heard? Is that I think people have to reinterpret the audience and the sort of media that work for them. I find too often a lot of companies and a lot of PR uh, people too have a far too narrow idea of where their message is going to resonate especially in today's media market. And so I would challenge everyone to think a lot broader, a lot more expansively about where they can land that message and really come up with ways in which you can land your message in other outlets that are outside of the traditional business as usual avenues and do it in a way that tracks back to your core value proposition and tracks back to your audience in ways that they weren't expecting. We actually have research that shows that that approach is a lot more transformative for audiences because they weren't expecting that message to come from this outlet to them and matter in the same way as if they were going with something that was typical and expected. I, I want to add to not only Kathy's question, but also Curtis is saying, it's like, where does this message go and who are we talking to? And when you expand, it's, it's, it's also now PR is very immersive, right? You're, you're talking with me where we lead, you know, social media and, and that's where you can really own your narrative on that platform. So when we work collaboratively with our public relation counterparts, we talk about, well, your earned coverage is fantastic. How are we going to amplify that further? And does it need for example, a paid advertising campaign behind it to really do more, um, you know, performance-based marketing. Mm -hmm. So really think about not whether we can or cannot do a PR placement or whatnot, but where, where does your message go and who are you trying to talk to? Because the approach can be tailored very differently and the same kind of platform or the same um, um, news article can be put into different places effectively. Right. So, you know, a question, a follow-up question I have on, you know, just adding to Kathy's um, point is, you know, I think cost is actually one of the main barriers for I, why companies don't go the native advertising route. I know for a top tier like GMA, I think it's $100,000 for like one week of tweets, right? You're looking at a half a million dollars for a bespoke customized segment. And Brett or Eric, I'm curious if you guys, if you all had any exposure to this when you all were on the broadcast side, on the national broadcast side, I would think that many of the clients that come to you are trying to find ways around not making that, those kinds of investments. Um, do you find this to be the case? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think it's, um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time prior to my time at Fox, I spent a couple of years doing satellite media tours. When, when we started doing them, they were all, it was all earned. We here, mm -hmm. it was paid and you can have it for free. Uh, and further along, we got a lot of the TV stations who are allegedly struggling to make money. were saying, Hey, you, you guys are getting paid. Why, why are we giving you this airtime for free? We want to, we want a little piece of this. So there's, yeah. that's definitely been a, a shift in time. Some companies don't have to pay for any coverage. They can turn around and everybody's excited. You know, Ford, if Ford CEO says we're going to go all electric in 10 years, everybody's going to jump on that same if Tesla said that, but 
if the makers of a, a battery technology that was going to go into one of these electric cars mm-hmm. said that, they might have a little ch- more time getting that, mm-hmm. that same coverage. I think the landscape is definitely changing. I think we need to be aware of that and where these changes are happening. I think what, Meg, what Mega was talking about is absolutely correct in that it's like we also now are dealing with the social media aspect of, of all that we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. In my, in my experience, in the newsrooms I was in, they kept it pretty separate, the things that were paid versus the things that were earned. So my experience was things that were earned. Like I, I can't remember something where it was an yeah. overt this is a paid opportunity, so we're going to do this. There were certainly sponsored segments. Like, okay, Eric's going to interview X, but it's sponsored by Y, but Y did not decide that X was going to be involved. So X still earned their spot, and then Y, you know, let's say it was Charles Schwab or TD Ameritrade, they sponsored the segment, but then the person that was being the guest, they earned that opportunity. So in my experience, it was separate, but I, I know it's starting to merge a little bit in more newsrooms, and people are doing a little bit of both. And it used to be like they sat on a different floor, yeah. right? Those mm-hmm. people do paid things. We do earned things. And now I do think it's getting, it's a little more blurry now. So as far as implications for the future of PR, as the question said, I think it's about being smarter about who you're talking to, why you're talking to them, who are you pitching? What's the dynamic in the newsroom? Because every, every quarter, right? Quarterly earnings, every quarter, there's a new dynamic with we're going to do this now with our earned versus our paid. So I think staying on top of those trends so you know who's shifting around and who you can reach because newsrooms are not, what am I trying to say? They're, they're always happy to take the money, right? They don't want to not take the money. So however you want to do that, they'll find a way to be able to do it. And they'll they'll find a place. Okay, this is earned, this is paid, but you know we can make things work out if you really wanted to. Yeah. So, you know, I, being mindful of the time, Vanessa actually has a very good question that I'd love to, to ask you all. You know, tell us about your own platforms, how you use your own social channels and your own personal brand and how you feel comfortable using that in service of your clients. I'm kind of adding to, to Vanessa's um, to Vanessa's point here or even your own networks. Right. I mean, how do you how do you place I mean, because I mean, I'm assuming you want to protect that because there is a real premium for that and you don't want to you know, you're probably looking at the long term for both your personal brand and your personal networks. How do you navigate that? And how do you, um, how does that impact your counsel with clients as well? That's a good mega question, I think, is our social. <laughs> I, was <gonna> <laughs> <laughs> I was also thinking, I'm like, oh man, that's a Curtis thing too. Well, you know, as, a, as, a, as journalists, right? I mean, people will ask like, oh, well, you know, everybody. And, you know, you, you, as you all know, as we all know on this yeah. channel, that's that that's not a good use of your network. But how do you explain that to people? And how do you tell them that look, like I'm not going to tap, I'm not going to tap in my my network every single time you ask, or I'm not going to necessarily use my personal like platform to promote your story because I'm actually going to erode the value that I've built and that I've invested in in my career and my brand. So, I, and I'm curious, like how you and, and and are there exceptions? Are there times where you think, okay, well now I will use my personal platforms for this, or I might tap into my network. Like, how do you, how do you walk that line? Or, or, do, you, or do you have a hard and fast no on? So I mean, and, and I am slightly personally invested in this because I get this question a lot myself. Well, like, well, you know, Arthi can let us tap your entire network for this. And I'm like, yeah, that's not, that's that's not what I want to do. So I, I actually, I, I personally want to know how you guys can. I'm this. slutty. I, I am absolutely slutty with my network. Okay. I, I have no qualms. People know what I'm, you know, that, that I work in PR mm-hmm. for, bunch of clients and that they all are looking you know to make noise and so I have no compunction and no like oh no no I'm too good for that no 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 once we're you know working together it's obvious that I am you know uh you know representing you and I'm here to make magic happen and so I I I can't imagine in my wildest dreams where I would say to someone Oh no, I'm not going to do that. I, I I feel bad about that because I, I have like a level of hypocrisy. So yeah. you know the thing is is that when I you know go to my network though 
I make sure that the ask is calibrated to what I know that they can do. And when someone says, you know what, Curtis, you know, no, never in a million years will I be able to do that. No, no, no. I don't, you know, whine and cry because I just think, okay, it's not this time, it's next time. And I'm pretty upfront, but I always make the case. I always make sure that the story is as perfect as possible for them. And sometimes, you know, it's going to work out. It's going to be great. And it's going to, you know, be amazing. And sometimes I will have to go to someone else. And, you know, sometimes I have to make new friends because, you know, whatever, you know, case is, my network's like, didn't I just do you a favor just yesterday? Like, what is up with you and your neediness? And so- I think that's the thing that all PR people need to do. They all need to channel their uh, innermost popular person from high school, if we don't want to you know, use that terminology, uh, and, and think, how can I spread the love to as many people as possible? Because that's what you're doing to be successful. I think spreading the love is the right word. I think of it as, as give. What can I give somebody rather than what can I ask or request from somebody? Because that's yeah. the advice I give to companies. Like You want to give to reporters. They're busy. Yeah. If you can give yeah. them data, give them information, give them background, give them scoops, context. Mm-hmm. That's helpful. So if I can give something to somebody that I know, Hey, I know you're looking for this kind of guest on your podcast. This could be a person for you. I'm yeah. giving them someone not, Hey, can you interview yeah. someone that I know in the back of my head is not the fit for you? Then I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm asking you, and I'm putting you in an uncomfortable spot. So I, I try to, I try to do what I advise. And, and I know this is a tricky question. So Mega's audio going mute for a second was convenient for her to avoid having to, having to answer, but I think we got her back now. I want to add a, a different shift on, on platforms and how you're using them for your personal brands type of thing. The, the past two years have been very humbling for, for me and I'm sure a lot of different people. I've definitely shifted perspectives, definitely different um, perspectives and priorities. And the way that I see success in, in my life personally is how am I going to invest in the next generation? I know that I was set up for a different route. If, if I didn't have the support that I have now and, and before, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. And so how I use my personal brand is not necessarily on a public scale, but I'm always trolling on social media to see what students are up to or what young mm-hmm. professionals are up to. Because then I send them a private message and go, hey, listen, wherever you're at right now, like we're here for you. And if you're like, you don't know who to reach out to, like us five, we are those community members for you. And being able to build them and their foundation, that is success to me and how I use my social platforms. Not very public, honestly, right very much on the private side. You know, I, I really like that you ended with, the, with that word, you know, humility, right? I mean, I think that's you know, I, I interviewed um, Dylan Twiney from um, who was, I think, most recently at Venture Beat, but he's been at a lot of places. Um, if I if I have that wrong, somebody correct me. Um, but I interviewed him. That was that. That's the word that he kept coming back to is the humility that's required when journalists okay. sort of come to this to to this side. And I don't have time to ask my one of the questions I wanted to ask was that you know, but I'll I'll I'll, I'll let everybody kind of chew on this um, as I transition to, to talking to Curtis about awards, you know, considering how savvy journalists have to be about the commercial viability of their personal brands and of their media organizations to everyone's point that, I mean, those lines between this, the native content and the pure play editorial are starting to blur. Um, is it really fair to say that PR is going to the dark side anymore? I mean, just the, the just the nature of the business has changed so much um, that it's not so cut and dry. So I will, I will let everyone maybe ponder on that. Um, or if, if people want to quickly give a, you know, I'll it, say real hard. fast. I don't think it's the dark side. I think we're yeah. helping companies yep. do we're yep. helping companies who just, they're trying to figure this out and we're doing them a real service. Cause otherwise there's no way for them to know how do I get into the newsroom? I don't know what they want. So I think of it as shining a light on like, this is what's actually going to work for you. That, you know, thank you, because I, I, I find that yeah. quite annoying when people call it the dark side as well. I was going to, I would, will echo what Eric said and, and add to that. I was kind of shocked by when I, I when I came here, where people were saying, oh, you've come to the dark side. And it's like, what's dark? You know, we we work with nonprofits. We do work for people and organizations. We help companies let the world know about what it is they're doing. And that I don't, I don't see that as doing something bad. It's not like we're, 
you know, clubbing baby seals or something on the weekends with a with a hatchet or something. We're not doing terrible, like, you know, we're sacrificing things at the altar of PR. None of these things are happening. So I don't see that's anything that we're doing. Well, well, maybe not at Boss Bar, but there is some, I mean, I, you, you don't have to look that far to see that some PR agencies and communicators have gotten into some some trouble for some nefarious things that they've done. But Okay, so on that note, um, maybe we should switch gears to Curtis. Um, well, but but before we do that, I want to thank Mega, Brett, and Eric. My gosh, you guys were so engaging. It's, it's hard to believe we didn't even do a dress rehearsal for this, you guys. This is how good they all are. They're just natural. Like, um, so thank you all. Thank you for your for your Thanks, time. Thanks, Arthur. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. All right, Curtis. Let's just you and me. Just you and me. Just us. Let's let's talk about awards. So I want to reiterate again why why Curtis is somebody you should listen to about um, awards. Curtis, you probably have the stats better than I do. Do you want to tell the audience what kind of year you guys had around awards? We had well. First of all, take a look. I, I've kind of you know decorated accordingly, thinking you guys would be here, and I, I think that. We have had an incredible year. I would say that the distinction that has meant so much to me was the uh, fact that we were named pound per pound, the most creative agency in North America. And that reflects both the work we've done and the awards we've won, which are two kind of separate like categories in a way, mm -hmm. because there is, you know, doing the work and then there's being recognized for it. Mm -hmm. And recognized for the work is so much harder because it's a super thoughtful process where you have to really congeal and direct everything into a submission. And, you know, you and I have read submissions and some of them have been like, oh, you're kidding me, or I don't believe this. And so I think that the big thing is that a lot of people who are looking to get noticed for their work are not putting their best foot forward. And it starts in so many things. It starts, for me, the, the killer is in the video. And I think I've raged to you about this because a lot of people will assemble this video in the expectation that I want to read a video. Yeah, It is yeah. the hardest yeah. thing I have ever seen. Yeah. When I think about juries and when I think about the actual live juries that I've been in where people are watching these videos, people are distracted. They're checking their cell phone. They're, they're probably eating something as they're like going through all these. And the thing is, is that when people put and invest so much time into these videos that have to be consumed like books. Yeah they are terribly, terribly hurting their chances. I'm annoyed by the arrogance, frankly. And I am also annoyed by the thought that you want me to read your video, like 500 other Madison Avenue produced videos, and they all look alike, and they all are boring, and they all are missing that emotional mark that makes you tear up or, yeah. or, or makes you think, oh, that was the not award. That was so interesting. And I think that's the thing is that a lot of these are cookie cutter in such a way as to be devoid of the emotion that's going to leave a mark. Yeah, I think that, that emotional piece is key. I mean, I think that the brand film can be hugely powerful if deployed in the right way. And 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 for Curtis, to your point about the the you know having to read the video, you know there there is a place for written context, and that is in the written portion of of the submission. And nearly every submission requires that, in addition to the to the to the brand film. Um, and I will just a note for folks on on the written portion. Less is more. Like less is more. You 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 don't know. Like yes, as Curtis can attest to. I mean, these these judges are reading sometimes hundreds of entries, and they really don't. You know, you ten point font. You know, getting rid of the margins just to adhere to the to the to the page count doesn't uh -huh. doesn't work. People's eyes glaze over. Um, and you know, you know, on on that note, so Curtis, you know, some of the agencies that do awards the best. You know, and, and judges bemoan this in every jury session is, well, well, they have a whole apparatus. They have a dedicated person and a resource, resources and a team. And, and that and, and it does, that does help. Like I will say agencies that, that a lot, many agencies that have, that have allocated those resources, it shows in the quality of their submissions. 
So Curtis, at an agency like Bosworth, because you guys aren't, you know, you're not one of the mega holding group firms, how do you allocate time and resources to awards? Isn't that what weekends are for? <laughs> oh, that is not the answer that your teams that wanted to hear, Curtis. But that's what I'm doing. Uh, what I'm doing is I am looking at all the plans. I'm looking at the documents. And a lot of times, nearly all the times, I'm writing the first draft or I'm writing mm -hmm. the entry and I'm thinking like a super cynical, tired, bored juror and thinking, you know, is this cool? Is this interesting? Why should I care? Yeah. And I try to think about all the things that, you know, a juror who would not be like me would think. I have been in jury pools where one woman said, you know, if I'm watching one of these videos or if I'm reading it and it doesn't, you know, mention someone of color or it doesn't showcase someone of color, I'm immediately thinking, is this, is this really a entry that's ready for the times? Yeah. I think that's really good advice. Yeah. And like me as a cisgendered white dude may not get that as well, but that's part of like really thinking outside yourself and thinking about what other people are looking for. Yeah. And so I approach these entries, not just humility, but fear and trembling, thinking that I'm having to appeal to a whole bunch of people that I may not know. And so I'm trying to think, what are the things that are going to interest them? And what are the things that are not? Yeah. You know, and I think that, that, that this, this point should not, should, should, I don't want, I don't want it to be overlooked, is this idea that Curtis, you are involved and you are writing the first drafts because the judges can tell when it's been pushed down. And, and when it, when it's been, when it's someone more junior, they don't know what the real story is. And that's when they cram everything in because they don't know how to distill down to what's, what are the points that are really going to resonate. It's always to me, a telltale marker that somebody who was less experienced work on the entry when it just includes every you know, like the like the, the ten point fonts, right? Just so you can squeeze in every little detail because you 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 weren't able to zoom out and think about what is the big picture, what's the big emotional gut punch, and what's the impact, the business metric that's really going to make make the judges say, "Why I wish I thought of that." And that's really the the emotion you want to elicit is you want the judges to say, "My goodness, I wish I had thought of that." So, um, yes. I, I would add to that that you know you you mentioned ten point font. I would add white space. I think not enough people know how to hit the return key yes, and yes. just like have me like track and look at something. So it's just like a sentence, a short sentence. People right. write these long run-on sentences or the worst, the absolute worst is when they copy boilerplate and paste that in. Yes. You yes. know, you're like, oh, I think we're getting the time to move on. I think Vanessa is like, you know, saying, hey guys, wrap it up. Oh, is that well? Okay. Well, what, can I can I just say one last thing because it actually is is important. What you said about about um, inclusion in these entries and this counts more and more. I have you know then it's not a one off that Curtis is saying when someone says that the, the the if the entry doesn't speak to them, it does get dinged. I've had a white male say in one of my jury sessions say. This is like, he's like, I'm tired. I'm tired of hearing guys like me and guys like me being centered. I'm, I'm, I'm ousting this. I've had women when, you know, if, if, if there's a cleaning product and it's marketed just to quote the busy mom, women push back on it. They're like, why are, why are marketers constantly telling us that we are the ones that are responsible for all of the domestic responsibility in the house? So yes, think about that when you put in your entries and it's, and it's worth, it's a point worth noting. And I think that now we are at 1159. So we, I think, and Curtis, you're right. We, 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 we should have, we'll have to have another, another Friday. We'll again. Yes. Awards. <laughs> awards politely pushy. We've come up with like, Vanessa, we came up with like three minute new topics for you. <laughs> I love that so much. There's so much more we need to do. So thank you so much, Arthi team. Uh, we've learned so much today and um, we've got to talk about what's happening because we're going on next week. Peyton, pick for next week. March 18th week, job hunting strategy resources and support. We have Jasmine Eusebiative at Highwire, 
Also, David Vosbrink, who is uh, well-known communications counsel. You may know him from the San Jose airport. He's been working with the city of San Jose for decades. He has a lot of really good advice for you. Join us for that. And the following week, we are doing, uh, and Peyton, let's show that graphic too, please, before we go. Um, the Actually, there's there's one before it. There is a co uh, there's a co led um, event that we are doing with the Puget Sound chapter, and it will be um, on diversity, equity, and inclusion. So more to come on that. Looking forward to seeing you again next week on all the social channels. Just join those. Go to our pages. You will find us. Look for look for that, and we look forward to seeing you all next week. Thanks for joining us. Bye, everybody.